Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Mike Musteller. Mike served as the leader in the launch of brands such as Victoria's Secrets Pink and their sports line VSX from ideation to $1 billion in annual revenue. He now brings his experience in accreditation, certifications, and education to propel the growth of small and medium-sized businesses throughout the U.S. He guides the achievement of this through growth through coaching, consulting, training, public speaking, and other online education tools. Today's Mike is here with us. He's going to discuss some of the key value deterrents that can be filled in to maximize the proceeds of a sell of a business. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, I'm super excited. I'm super excited for this show. I, I know it's uh, it's great work, um, and uh, it's it's uh, not common uh, these days. We, there's still such a huge gap, and uh, I believe the youngest baby boomer right now is 58 years old, and baby boomers own about two-thirds of the businesses in America, so there's uh, $10 trillion or more in value that needs to be uh, shifted over the next several years. So it's, we yeah, need I was, more you, Ron. I was just reading somewhere that said, I think it was like in the, I think it was either five or 10 years. I'm going to butcher this. I know. Um, but either in the next five or 10 years, there's as many as 25 million jobs will be lost. If those baby boomers don't hand, do a succession plan, hand this over, sell it, you know, you know, keep the companies running. Um, so Let's just jump right in with you, guys. Let's let's talk about how did you get into M and A. I like to always ask people: you were born, now you're here. Kind of fill in the gap in between. How did you How did you end up in front of me? Right. Yeah. So um, out of school, I was a buyer. Right out of college, I was a buyer of ladies' coats and outerwear. And you know, I, I tell everybody it's it's the best start to any career you can get. People don't realize the buyer they write their own marketing. They buy their own product. They choose the price. They choose the markdowns. Um, you know, if there's logistics issues, you you learn how to work through those. So you really get a great view of it, the, the whole company. Um, and so fabulous start to my career. And what I realized at the time was I loved everything new. So at that time, it was new launches, new products, new marketing campaigns. I loved them. So I actually, my MBA was then focused in new and emerging businesses. Following getting that MBA, I, was, I left Macy's and went to Victoria's Secret, where I worked on two concepts over a three-year period. One of those concepts was VSX or their sport apparel line, right? Uh, yoga pants for Target, not so much for the gym, right? And uh, yeah, we got that business in three years. We got to $300 million. And at the same time, simultaneously, I don't know how else to say it, but time is not your issue, folks. I promise you it's the toolkit you're using if you're not getting what you want. At the same time, I ran another business that was a two-person test concept when I showed up. At that third year mark, I turned back over to Victoria's Secret, a 35-person self-operating business unit that did $1 billion in sales that third year. So I spent much of my career following that, obviously, feathering your cap as a, as a young gent, still in my late 20s at this point. 
you know, companies I worked for after that was typically someone who knew me from my past, knew what I was doing at, at Victoria's Secret, and brought me on board either through the CEO or the CFO say, hey, make room for this guy. He's going to do all of our new product launches. So launching a business, think about it, right? When it starts, just like every small business, I own every hat, right? When someone says go, I'm literally writing a pitch deck, not for an investor, but to take to other department heads and say, this is the support I'm going to need. Here's my projections. This is why it's going to work, et cetera. So I'm really running the whole business and creating the first step in value, which is something, right? It has to start with sales. And so through my career, I started to get more and more focused on this concept of value, right? Um, there's, there's just too many retailers, which is where most of my career was spent, who are looking for that quick dollar, you know, markdowns, pr promotions. You get people in right now. Uh, and, and unfortunately, what they do is they significantly hinder the value of their brand by degrading it through these constant price breaks to the point where many get to where they have virtually zero sales if they don't have some sort of promotion going on. And so that was where my first interest in the value space uh, originated. And recently, in the, in the last, uh, say let's say two, three years ago, I had two different uh, business brokers that were just in my network approached me at different times, uh, but both with the same same issue. I have a business right now where the owner is so involved in the business, I can't possibly sell it. No one is going to want to work buy a business where they have to work ninety to one hundred and twenty hours a week, like some of these folks are doing. Um, it's uh, so it's just not a business. They own their own job. And in both of those cases, I was able to uh, have, have them invest in uh, developing leadership, roles and responsibilities, and delegating to the point where they weren't the person putting out the fires every day. They could be the person looking forward. What's my next growth category? What's my next growth market, right? How am I going to move forward? And so by doing that, I, I, I took what was worth nothing other than uh, owning a job and created a business from it. And in both of those cases, the, the uh, brokers were able to then put the business on the market and sell it. And that's when I said, there's really something here beyond just the sales driving. And I've been doing building, you know, new concepts, new markets, new teams for people. There's this whole idea of the value of a business versus the value of a job. And so here I am today. I've got my SEPA certification. I'm the president of the Ohio uh, Exit Planning Exchange. And we're helping companies every day with the team that I've formed create value, not just individual sales. So what is an exit value exchange? Because I, I seen that on your website and I was like, that, that intrigued me. It's the first time I've seen that phrase used. Yeah, so the Exit Planning Exchange is actually a national group. Mm-hmm. They have chapters, and most of the chapters are by city. Um, but here in Ohio, with the network that I had, and the fact that all three cities are basically within about two hours of each other, uh, I negotiated the whole state. I wanted to have a bigger impact anyway. So uh, we, I have the whole state as the president. Um, we've got the backing of a national chapter who provides a ton of inf information and educational resources. 
as well as networking across the various chapters. Uh, so that's that's XPX, the Exit Planning Exchange. And uh, here in Ohio, we've uh, we've formed a team that basically you can lift us up and set us down in any exit planning project, and we can take you all the way through from the value building all the way through the transaction. That's awesome. That's actually a very valuable service. I constantly run into business owners who want to sell their business, but when you get into it, they just have a job, right? They they might like, well, I have five employees and you, re, you start looking into it. When somebody tells me they work 90 to 120 hours a week, I was like, can your business afford to hire four new people right now? And they're like, why? Because when you leave, I have to do that because I don't want to work 120 hours a week. Right. Yes. When you leave, I have to hire that sales rep, that marketing rep, the general manager. Right. And like a lot of times the maintenance guy, the owner is the guy that goes out and fixes the, the tool. Like I asked him, who, who does the maintenance on your machine stuff? You have a contract with somebody or something? I don't see a maintenance contract. Now nah, I've been in this business for 40 years. I go out and fix it. Like I can, I'm not, I, I don't do that. <laughs> right. That person hasn't been in that business for 40 years. And exactly. Right. And, um, so there's real value in helping an, under, uh, an owner understand where they are, right, and where they need to get to be. I'm not a big believer that you need to show somebody or at least somebody needs to know all the steps in between. You don't need to know A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. You need to know A, you need to know where you're at, kind of need to know what Z is, what your end goal is. And somebody needs to show you B. And if you should focus on just getting B done and then figure out what C is afterwards. If you did that, a lot of people get a lot further in this. Uh, I think a lot of the reasons business owners don't work with guys like you or do this process is they, it kind of seems overwhelming. Yep. So how do you break it down for them so that they can actually, uh, you know, add value to their company, make it sellable. And it just doesn't seem like, you know, a 15 page laundry list of all the things they need to do. Oh yeah. Actually just the way you explained it is how we work. So in order to get Z, I personally work with a financial wealth. She's a wealth planner, right? Mm -hmm. So she's managing wealth, not, um, you know, selling insurance and things like that. Uh, so she's managing wealth. And so I have my clients first sit with a lifestyle designer and, and decide what do they need? You know, you've been working 90 hour weeks for 40 years. Do you really think you're going to say stop and you're going to be happy? So our lifestyle designer is, is trained in this area to be able to ask, hey, do we need to set 200,000 bucks aside for you to have a passion project to kind of unwind for a few years slowly, but still own something. So anyway, we designed the life and then they, they go to our, our wealth planner who of course says, okay, to live this life that you've laid out until you're 99 years old. Um, you know, th this is the number you need to sell your business for. And that could come back, you know, $6 million. Well, I then will do a business valuation through biz equity, which has got the deepest database of, of companies and, and transactions to, to pull from. Um, so I, I'll do the business valuation and let's say the number was eight and I come back and say, okay, it's 6.5 is what your business is worth today. Sometimes the number is literally zero, like we discussed, but in this case, let's say 6.5 out of eight. So do you want to cut your, uh, life by 20%, you know, your lifestyle by 20% or do you want to look at the, the next page, which is here is where you stand against your industry competitors in things like 
your cash flow, uh, productivity, um, the, the, the tenure of the team. And we, we look at all the facets of the business, even the in some things that are intangible and say, okay, I can get you 80% of that million five gap, probably going to take us 18 months. Let's in this case, I don't know. It, sometimes it's 12. Sometimes it can be 36. I can get you 80% of this value in 18 months and it's going to cost you a hundred grand and you're going to end up with, you know, $1.2 million of the 1.5 out of this. And then yes, it is one project at a time. <laughs> sometimes. So if we have to, let's say, clean up the books, right, that I can pass off to our CPA and have them clean up the books. The owner is then free and we can, we can work on a sales system if that's, if that's what the next step is. Um, but it's really the, the whole focus is a step because we always go after the lowest hanging fruit, right? Um, you know, lowest effort, biggest value initiatives first, and we grow them. And, or then we, sorry, we sequence them. And so at any time we've captured the most value we could get, right? So if we say, if I say it's going to be 36 months, right? Some businesses, that's what it is. Um, if we get 24 months in and they look and say, okay, that's fine. I'm done now. <laughs> right? I'll, I'll sell for 7 million or seven and a half million, right? I'm not going to wait longer for, for the rest. Fine. They can do that. But because of the process we built, just like you said, I know a you've developed Z with that wealth planner. And now we're just going to walk through the steps. And if you want to, if you want to be done at T, we can be done at T. Uh, and you know that, B was the most valuable thing. And then C was the most valuable thing. So, so we've maximized it for you along the way. Uh, so having somebody on your team that can get inside of that story that they've created in their head, break it up a little bit and give them a plan for what to do next will help solve this, you know, trillion dollar problem you were talking about earlier, right? Millions of businesses set out there with, you know, what I think was 20, 25 million employees that are going to go away in the next five to 10 years. If, if, people don't make a decision to, you know, start handing these businesses over to the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad to think about. I mean, it's, it's somewhere between 10 and $13 trillion of business value could evaporate if, if there isn't smooth transitions. Um, and there, you know, the, the folks who go on the market each year, only about 20% of the businesses are saleable. Yeah. And that's, so you, know, you think about what that looks like, not just to the owner, but as you said, to those employees. So, you know, in my practice, one of my favorite things, and we celebrate it every time we hire a new person, not, not a fill a role, but a new position. If we add a position, that's a celebration. We go out and have lunch because we created a job. We sent some kids to college. We fed a family. We, you know, whatever that is, a vacation. I don't care if it's part-time and it's just you know, someone that's one of the spouses working for the vacation fund, whatever it is, we just made some mission of somebody easier by creating that job. So that's a celebration. So when you talk about 25 million people losing their job, not to mention the trillions of dollars of value that'll disappear. Yeah. That's, that's not, that doesn't sit well with me. I wish you wouldn't have said that Ronald. Cause now, now everybody I don't help, I'm going to be thinking about the jobs we lost, not just the value that disappeared. You know, that's what pulled me out of, I was in the real estate industry and started pulling me out of this. I started seeing those numbers and I was like, I know business. I have an MBA. I like business. 
um, should probably take a look at this. And the more I dove into it, I was like, okay, well, here's a problem that really needs some help solving. So let's just jump into solving that problem. A business owner comes to you. Let's just say they're doing okay. They Maybe they're at the million dollar in revenue mark and they've got eight or 10 people, but they're, they're, they've been doing this for 30, 40 years and they're still pulling 60 to 80 hour weeks because it's just what they love. They wake up and start working on it. And when they go to sleep, you know, when they can't keep their eyes open anymore, they, they quit working on it. So that's just the way they've been. What is the, uh, you talked about a little bit, they go through the lifestyle, stuff like that. How do you, um, I guess the next step is you've, you've, you've met, you set them down with your lifestyle guy or gal, and then you put them through the kind of a business valuation and then you gave them a step-by-step plan, at what point do you, can you see that tension relief, right? Because there's, there's, a, you can, there's a weight that people carry knowing that they don't think they can sell their business. They just, they don't think, they just don't think they can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, it, and that's one of the things that makes this process so much better because I'm not just telling you it's sellable and I'm not just giving you a number. I'm basically confirming your future life is in good hands right? We're going to get you to that. So this is, you know, it's, it's really that um, uh, future visualization that people have. So now what we're doing right now is we're not selling your business. We're getting you that beach house. We're getting you that 200,000 passion project. We're giving you two trips to Europe a year. We, you know, whatever that is that was in their plan, that's what we're delivering. So when you're working towards that and not just value in your business, it, as soon as you, as soon as they make that, and you can see when they make that connection, like, Hey, I can get you 80% of this value in, in the next 12 months. Wow. I'm only a year away from, you know, had living the life that I dreamed of. Wow. You know, that it's, it's a different, uh, it's a different realization because it's like I said, it's not just numbers. I've, I've worked for companies where literally I can sit down and say for the projects I came up with, I led and executed their profitability is 20% of the company's value right now because of those based on EBITDA and, and things like that. You could, uh, or sorry, based on um, uh, earn, earnings um, ratios, um, price, price PE ratios. I can say I'm, I literally created 20% of the value of this company, public company and multi-billion dollar companies. And it's not nearly as rewarding when you're sitting across a table from a business owner and you're coming down that home stretch and things are just clicking and they're, they're just not, they're not leaving their business. They're starting their next act. It's a totally different mindset change. Like you said, the soap person, someone like that, I would probably pitch to them. Listen, something could go wrong at your age, at any age, right? I mean, anybody can get hit by the bus, but at that age, Anything can go wrong. You want to keep running the company? Fine. But let's get a president in here. And let's develop a process where you hand off the most important things based on your vision of the future growth of the company. And they're there to execute it, do the pain. Put They're there to put the 90 hours in. And yeah, you're paying them a salary that you're not getting, but you're still in charge of your business and you're still making money um, and hopefully, you know, we'll get it to the right number where it works for them. Um, so, you you know, you, you he could be potentially right now grooming his successor don't have to go away because at 78, I mean, if he has a stroke tomorrow, I mean, 
pray he doesn't, but at, at that age, it happens, right? At any age. He just happens. had a, uh, over, I think it was last Christmas, not this recent one, but the one before that, he had a stint put in his neck to try to prevent a, a stroke because he had a partial blockage in his neck. So, uh, and I just got called this week or last week that uh, the health's not there. So I'm going to have more conversations with him. But, you know, you brought up something earlier as far as like, like how, how a business owner comes up with what they think they need out of their business. Uh, it's interesting. I get on calls with business owners and sometimes they bring up a number early. I don't encourage that. I really want to build rapport. So if they start talking numbers off the bat, I like, you know, usually I'll circle back around and say something to the effect, Hey, we'll get to that. You know, right now I just kind of want to understand how you built it. But if somebody comes and says, you know, I want $1.5 million for my business, you know, instead of saying, how did you come up with that? I was like, great, let's take a look at your business and we'll see how we can get you there. You know, that's my job as a mergers and acquisitions, you know, nerd, you know, acquisitions entrepreneur is, you know, what does the business owner need or want? And if you ask them how they came up with it, sometimes like, well, I talked to my CPA and they said, if I want to retire at this income for a month, that's what I need. Or they, you know, they have some logic behind it. It's not necessarily connected, right? You know, exactly right. Yeah. No one's going to pay you that amount of money because they want you to retire successfully. Exactly. <laughs> they're buying so, the future cash flow of this business. Yeah. The last one we had that conversation, we got pretty deep into his business, kind of in probably middle of due diligence. And I said, look, the only way you're going to get into that valuation is you almost need to double your business. Now, we can do that a couple of ways. You can work with a business coach to help you with sales and stuff because he was doing all his own sales. And I honestly think he could he could have brought on a sales team and just destroyed what he was able to do on a sell. Mm -hmm. I said, the other thing is you can work with me. I can find a similar company that's needing to retire. They're about to shut down. We merge you guys together, but you're not, you know, yeah, you'll get a higher evaluation, but that other owner is going to get a big chunk of that too. Right. Because, right. because of that. So uh, there's a couple of different ways we can get you where you want to be, it, you know, and a lot of people don't get that. It's like, well, I need to be at 1.5. My business is only worth, you know, say 700,000 right now. I can't sell it. It's like, yeah, you can. You just got to do a little work to get you to the, the 1.5. Right. And, uh, and you don't have to do it on your own. There are people like you, like me, and other people out there that will step in for a piece of equity or, or a fee or, or some, you know, for something of value. We'll help you get to the, where you want to be in your goal. Um, let's talk about, you mentioned before the show and in, in, in my notes there, I see you said there's some key um, like elements or determining uh, or detriments, or you want to call it, that can be filled in to maximize the proceeds of a sale. So what are some of those values that a business owner needs to look at and be aware of that, you know, if this was that area was performing better or was in place, they, they would sell for a higher valuation? Yeah, yeah. I call them potholes because that's what they are. They, they're a big, ugly hole that if someone else sees it, it deters from the value of the business, right? They're, they're going to, from that initial offer letter, they're going to give, they're going to discount what they're going to pay. Right. And, but all these potholes can be filled in. And so what we do is we pick the financially optimal number of potholes to fill in. Right. Um, some of the things are, um, you've probably seen this story. The, um, the wife came along with the husband when he first started his manufacturing company and he was, he had two people he was managing. He was on the manufacturing floor, but she did the books. And then the company grew. And now we've got someone who really isn't a CPA who's doing the books of a company that's doing, you know, million, two, three million dollars in sales. And think about that from the perspective of a potential buyer. 
So you tell me when I buy, she's not staying around when he's like, she didn't even want to be in this in the first place. She's just doing the books to keep him in control, right? <laughs> Make sure he's not spending his money at uh, conferences in Vegas, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so what we recommend there is let's go hire a CFO type, whatever controller type, whatever is appropriate for that size business. Hire that person now. Because you don't want to be at the sale table and tell the person, oh, by the way, uh, the the person, the owner the, who's been running this, the president who's been doing your marketing and running the manufacturing floor, he's going to disappear. Oh, and by the way, the person who knows all the finance and where all the little pockets of money are and everything else, oh, she's going too. Right? So what we do there is we're going to replace her while we have plenty of time for her to teach the new person and onboard them. And we're probably going to go get a sales manager as well so that the only person that's leaving is the head of manufacturing. Right. And, and that's a role you could typically hire for. If, you know, if somebody wants to bring in someone to run the shop floor, they bring in someone with experience and it's a pretty easy hire. Uh, so, so that's one of the big ones is uh, in a family owned business, how much of the business is family and are they really going to be part of the transaction transaction or are they getting some part of this proceeds so they can go do whatever they want with their lives? It's actually is also one of the things that hinders people from wanting to sell is what's going to happen to my people. Yeah. Well, I find that's more critical than how much money am I going to get in my pocket? I've seen more than one business go to not the highest and best offer. Um, I mean, best offer would be subjective to personal opinion, I guess. So it's not the highest dollar amount offer. Right. A lot of business owners see the best offer as the one that pays a reasonable amount, takes care of my people, maybe preserves my legacy and my brand. If that's important to me, a lot, it seems to be to quite a few. And, uh, you know, that dollar amount is, you know, I've seen quite a few business owners tell me that they took the second or third. You know, they were close a lot of times, but they didn't take number one. They didn't. You know, somebody offered one point five million and the other guy said one point three. But he's, you know he owns a family business. He's going to be around and he wants to just fold this into his and, and keep the brand and, you know, keep it around and keep all the employees, you know, it's a safer pair of hands. So, uh, you know, I, there's something to be said for that offering a safe pair of hands to the, the business owners. Um, you know, that's what I look for is I look for businesses. I can be a safe pair of hands for the next, you know, uh, and, you know, leave it as a legacy for my kids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And all these things can, are controllable. You know, and that's part of the, you know, you, you mentioned people jumping right off and talking about money and, and that's just not a great client for you. It's the same thing. Like we, we're getting ready to go into the, probably the biggest negotiation of your life. Let's first understand all of the things that are valuable to you, right? Let's have that conversation. Oh, your employees are important. Great. We're going to put in a place right now that within, we're going to, Make the contract now so the next owner is held to it, that anybody who's terminated within the next two years gets a $50,000 payout or whatever, that three times their salary, whatever the number is. We can work all these things in. But if you just start and jump in, I need to sell my business now, it makes it a little bit tougher. <laughs> you know, if you, if you want to do the fast sale, you lose a lot of the liberties that you have if you're, if you're looking ahead. And, you know, we can, we can, whatever the obstacle is, we can work through it. It's just a matter of understanding what is value to you. I was just eating, uh, I stopped for a uh, uh, breakfast this morning at my favorite restaurant. And I didn't even know the lady at the cash register was the owner. 
she's like, you're here a lot. What do you do? Like you, like you have to own your own business because you're here at random times throughout the day. And uh, I said, yeah, I do. I said, I run a podcast. And I told her, she goes, I, so I buy and sell businesses. She's like, you want to buy a restaurant? And I was like, you seriously thinking about selling this? It's an iconic restaurant here in town. It's been around like third or fourth generation. And it's a little hole in the wall, buffeteria type of thing. And uh, now everybody listening to Tulsa probably knows what it's called because that's part of its name. But the owner was like, I think I want to sell it. So first of all, I don't buy restaurants so, uh, just because I just, it's a lot of work. <laughs> she asked, like, looked at me like, why? I said, because I have a lot of respect for you and a love for what you do. It's a lot of work for a low profit margin. She was like, yeah. So the secondly, I said, if you really want to business, buy, sell your business right now, you should have been planning three years ago. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of there's some work you need to do and you can get it done in less than three years. But if you're really serious about doing it and you're thinking in the next five years, I'm out of here, start talking to some people, some people that can help you, you know, position yourself to maximize what that looks like at the other end. I said, I just told I was straightforward. If you come to me now and say, hey, I got to sell this right now, it's to my advantage, not yours. Right. Yeah. If I do decide to take it, you're going to take a lot of concessions because you just weren't ready. Like the number, you know, numbers in this industry, you know, and, and small to medium businesses run from one times your seller's discretionary earnings to three X. And you're going to be on that one X side, one to two, you know, one to 1.5, just because you're just not ready. Your books aren't ready. You're, you know, you've been running this for 30 years. Your dad handed it to you. So she got it. But, uh, you know, it was just concerning to her is like when I, she said, she could see the look in her face when I said, well, if you, if you want to really sell it, you should be planning. You should have been planning three years ago. Yeah. What's your gut feel on that? What's the timeline? I, I'm a medium-sized business. I, 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 I'm an operator. I'm in there working every single day. How long do you think it takes for these guys to shift the gears and make it ready to sell? I say, ideally, you want a five-year horizon. What that gives us is two years to improve the business meaningfully. That could be 50% more sales at a higher margin or higher earnings ratio because we cut expenses as well. And then it gives us three years for that to show up in my, my earning statements for three years, which I'm going to present to a buyer. So if you come to somebody and say, I want to sell now, they're going to look at your last three years. Well, if you've, if you've been working with somebody for six months, it's most of it's not baked in. Right. And you have to tell the story. Right. right. So right. here's my new ratio. I had someone come in, look, come in and look at the cost. I renegotiated a contract. It'll look like this for you going forward. I mean, you have to you have to sell that versus here it is for the last three years. I've got it built in and this is my, you know, my best foot forward. And, you know, my my sales have grown, you know, five or 10 percent, even in those years afterwards, whatever it is. So you show a trajectory, you know, maybe it's 25 percent, but you're showing that's your that's the story. You're, you're selling them on that right? The, the growth during that period, you're not selling them on, well, my last six months have been great. So just assume that forever, right? It's totally different mindset. I probably speak to and with more acquisition entrepreneurs than most because of the podcast. And I do big business networking things with just mergers and acquisitions uh, people. And I can promise you the circle of people who are buying businesses, very few of them put any stock at all in coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. Yeah. And a lot of business owners, if you're doing something for the last six months, you've made some major changes, even if they're running really well, we're still going to average that off over the last three years, like you said. And we don't buy into your coulda, woulda, shoulda stories. Right. You right. know, 
Like I actually had a business owner trying to get three times what his business is worth because he says, I'm really this close to lending these three con- you know, contracts. It'll triple my business and I'll help, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'll tell you what, you know, let's, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I promise you, if you really want to have this conversation, it's going to be worded in there that my offer is price X and you get a bonus of Y, Z on those, you know, in your you know, whatever, there's three of them out there. There's three contracts he thought he could land. So I'll give you a big chunk, a big bonus out there. Three of, you'll get a higher valuation when we close those and the first invoices paid, right? Yeah. And he he was really pushing back on that. He wanted to sell on, you know, you know this performa type of thing. Well, this is what we can do. And I was like, I just don't buy on coulda, woulda, shoulda. We don't, I don't know me that does. No so. one else is going to pay for it either. Don't feel bad, Ron. <laughs> it's scary, <laughs> right? This, you know, and I, I don't hide the fact that I'm I'm new to this. I've been in real estate for a while. I've been in this for what two years now. Um, played a part in a really big project, and uh, so I might be a little more reluctant than some. But I don't know. Like I said, I talked to mergers and acquisitions. We refer to ourselves as acquisition entrepreneurs. Uh, I, I talk to people in that space all the time, and I haven't met anybody that's willing to pay for coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Not at all. No one buys your plan. If so, I, I can make amazing plans. Right? <laughs> I can put any number you want on a piece of paper. Yeah. You pay me for it. But yeah, no, it's it, like I said, ideally, in that case, you can explain, right? If just the third year, if just the most recent year numbers include that, but you've got these people locked into a multi year contract, all of a sudden, okay, now that's the base. That's the year I'm looking at uh, as a buyer. But um, like I said, it's it's so much easier if you don't have to tell that story. <laughs> Get it baked into three years of your history. Um, you, you should you sh- the way the process works when when we do it here at XPX in Ohio. It's all value creation, and what value means is it's worth more to whoever owns it, right? Just simply. Well, what if it's still you? <laughs> what if we made it that you're working? 40 hour weeks and making 30% more than you did before. Maybe you want to stay there, right? All of a sudden it's, you don't have to leave. And when you can get to that place, that's where you can hold out for that strategic buyer who's going to pay you more because they look at the business as a, a bigger opportunity with them combined than it is for you alone. And when you get to that point, you're, you're free. Like you have a normal job that's paying you even more than you got before when you're working crazy hours. And you've got this chance to unlock a buyer who may pay you two or even three times what a financial buyer might pay, right? Someone who's just buying it for the cash flows. So I brought this up on a couple of other shows, but I'll bring it up to you because you're, you actually coach inside of this space. I had a gentleman call me. He said, I've heard of Aqua Hire. Can you help me or find me somebody to help me Aqua Retire? And I was like, I've never heard of that phrase before. What do you mean? He goes, well, I've run this business. My kids don't want it. They're not really equipped to, to take it over anyway. It's a very specialized business. There's a um, smaller business within 50 miles of us who has run really well. He actually knew they were running on EOS, so like really systematic and stuff, stuff he wished he had implemented. He goes, I want to work with that guy. I want to acquire him, right? I'm much bigger, three times the size of him. I want to like give him a 40, do a 60, 40, do like a, some type of split, give him a big stake in it and have him be the CEO and earn it over time and pay our family trust over time. So my kids get a better inheritance with this guy running it, you know, and at some point we might just own, you know, he'll be the majority owner. We'll be a minority owner. 
And I was like, that was a brilliant idea and a great uh, key phrase. I was like, I'm, you know, <laughs> we're going to coin that and keep that. So, uh, you know, it's kind of merged, merged with another guy so that you can step out of management. Um, I like it. And then not every industry has like the ideal subject. He, he did some research and found somebody that like he, it was one of his competitors. He's like, this guy's still with some of my clients anyway. So I want to talk to him. Right. So uh, what do you think about like just different strategies to get the owner? If the owner needs to retire sooner, uh, what do you think about that type of thing where you acquire another company that has younger staff, better management in the same vertical, right? They could pick up your product line fairly easy. Yeah, I love that for the right situation for sure. Um, not as you know, as you said, it's not, you you can't just uh, you know put that at market. That <laughs> I want somebody. You know, people couldn't even understand the concept from any marketing language. But if you can find that deal, it's great. Uh, you know, the other option is working with a team like ours. It doesn't have to be us. It's not a pitch. This is a podcast. <laughs> but when you work with a team like ours, we have fractionals, right? So we have someone who could come in if. Uh, if you get sick all of a sudden or, you know, just just need to go now, uh, we can bring in people who can run the company on a fractional basis while preparing it for sale. Um, so that's that's another option. If, if you can't, you know, if they're not as fortunate as this person to have a business within 50 miles that's run well and, and can come in, you know, the other option is definitely the fractional route. And, and we maintain a full C-suite and the second level. Right. So. We have a CFO. We also have an accountant and a bookkeeper, right? Yeah. And in the same thing, I've got I've got someone who can run your HR, or I have a person who's a benefit specialist, a person who's a legal compliance specialist, et cetera, right? So we have this team built, and others do too. Again, it's not a plug for us, but but fractional is definitely another option for team for people who get to that point for sure. You know, one of the things to bring up here, and I like to point this out on most of the shows, is. If, if you're thinking about, if you're getting a, up there in age, you have any medical concerns, or even me, I just turned 50. And for the first time in my life, I'll be 100% transparent. They put me on blood pressure medicine, right? I had chest pains one day. And uh, I started looking through all my operational agreements. But uh, I've actually seen, since I jumped in the M&A space, I've seen at least three businesses here in my local market where one day everything looks cool. One day you drive by and it's like, where, where, where's all the cars there? That was a thriving little business. One was electrical. When I first got into this, uh, I actually reached out to a friend who seems to be able to, he knows everybody in town. I was like, what happened to so-and-so electrical? He goes, I'll look it up. So he calls me back and goes, the owner passed away. And uh, they're having a hard time because nobody can write checks or payroll or anything. He didn't have anybody in his operation agreement. Nobody else is on the banking system. There's no, like the... There's nothing there. So he, there's nobody that has the authority to cut another check without his signature. So he has 16 trucks, about 18 to 20 electricians. They did residential and commercial, or, you know, and, and, a, and a commercial building. And they ended up, like I watched it, they ended up just auctioning off the trucks at the local auction. They, you know, they just liquidated the assets. And uh, all because he never thought to say, you know, um, you know, in my operational agreement, and I went and changed all mine in my operational agreement that, uh, like in the event I'm incapacitated and unable to do anything, you know, checks can be signed by my wife. And I actually didn't know if this was, I haven't even talked to my attorney yet, but I used to do insurance. I put per stirpes, which means per bloodline. So if I forget about this 10 years from now and my kid, you know, my 11 year old is now 21, right? It says per steps, it says my wife, but if she can't do it or she's gone, it says per bloodline. So my son can do it. 
It'll go right down the bloodline like an insurance policy would. But uh, a lot of people overstep that inside of their operating agreement, inside of bank statements, inside of other stuff. And if something happens to them, you know, a lot of these businesses don't have enough cash on hand, accessible cash on hand to survive, you know, a six month to 18 month probate system. Yeah, that's I mean, there's well, it wouldn't matter if they had the money. They couldn't access it in that case. Right. Right. So that's just sad. I mean, even if, even if they had the money that. Yeah, the, the business can't, you know, employees are going to have to find new jobs. And even if you could then get it out of probate, you've got nobody left. You know, what, is that, what does that even look like? So, yeah, it's, it's important. In fact, that's one of the first things we do is risk, right? We work on risk because you might as well at least capture all the value you have today, <laughs> right? At the very least, let's not lose any. Let's make sure your family gets something. Um, and... Um, with that, uh, we'll, we'll do com- company-owned, often company-owned life insurance policy on the owner. So yeah. when that happens, we can then quickly access money to go hire somebody. Key man policies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, key man policies as well. That's very important. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely talk about – we definitely go through that. You know, all, all the risk phases. Um, yeah, we talk I've, about- uh, I've opened up uh, operation agreements with three partners, and there's no – buy sell agreement at all in the operational agreement right and now they're what they're mad at each other and they need to sell and they're going to have to negotiate and agree upon and all three sign a buy sell agreement to uh, pin their operational agreement with and they're at a stage where they're just done right they're done with each other right, right. and uh, you know they all think the other one did something wrong so this stuff is important that people understand you know, there's a reason why, like, there's so much stuff we look through to, to, for due diligence. Um, you know, I had a guy, we, we, we started the due diligence process. I thought I had a deal. And in that, in that looking through his operational agreement and stuff, like, hey, your name's not on any of this stuff. He goes, yeah, it was my dad's. I was like, did you never admit it? You got any signatures where he handed over? Like, no, I showed up to one work one day. He put me on the bank signature card so I could sign checks. They uh, put the HR payroll people on there so they can issue payroll checks. And I said, yeah, but you didn't update your, you didn't go to your attorney and update your legals and your documents and verify stuff. And he's like, no. And I was like, well, is your dad still around? He's like, kind of. I was like, what do you mean, kind of? He's like, he's in a memory care facility. I was like, well, he's not legally competent to sign any documents anymore. You walk into a memory care facility with legal documents and they'll run you off. <laughs> Ask me, I know. I didn't know any better. And I walked in and they're like, they'll call adult protective services on you. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> like, you don't want to do that. Uh, that was a very awkward uh, conversation. I just, you know, I went in with somebody with their son and it was for real estate deal even. And uh, they're like, what are you doing? I was like, well, he needs to release, you know, release this property. Like he can't, he can't legally do that. Right. So what do you do with that? I mean, I, I guess that's step one. If somebody comes to you early, is there, um, you, you, so you go through their documents, you do a little bit of due diligence, you do a risk assessment, you put key man policies, uh, company owned insurance policies in place. Um, you know, what are the other, I'm sure there's uh, other key value deterrents, right? <laughs> we already talked about the books are a mess. Uh, owners working too many jobs. What are the other ones that you would like to uh, talk about? Yeah. So the, the, after we get the, again, that risk or, you know, ensured the value we have today remains, mm-hmm. uh, then the first place that I always turn is sales. If the owner is 80% of your sales force, 
that can be a big deterrent for a buyer is does that person buy from you because they're cousin Joe or because of your relationship, you used to play golf and he knows he's paying a nickel more per unit, but he's okay with it, but he's not going to be okay with it when it's not you. I mean, we don't know all of the, you know, all of these things. And, you know, if you're on the outside and 80% and of the sales are tied to someone who's not going to be there when you take over the company, it gets scary, right? Yeah. One of the guys was telling me on one of these shows, he, he bought a company and, uh, it was, uh, I don't think we released the show yet, but anyway, he bought a company and, um, the owner had been taking the top seven or eight, uh, customers on an Alaskan fishing cruise every single year. Like they go up there together. Right. And he's like, I don't even like fishing. Like they, they, you know, we're, you know, I forgot what time of the year, but I guess that time of the year came around where they're supposed to go up and do the salmon or whatever fishing. And all these people started reaching out to him and go, Hey, are we going on the trip this year? And he's like, what trip you know he said he did it the first year because he had no idea like he did his due diligence stuff but the owner never told him well i take my top you know customers and now he thinks he's going to lose customers over it because they were paying you know he, he thought he had a great brand and they're paying us like you said five percent or five you know five cents uh, per, per unit a little bit you know more than other people and it's because nobody wanted to give up their you know alaskan fishing cruise uh mm -hmm. you know with this guy you know he had the same guy same boat always could find the fish it was a fun trip for them to go on and I was like, he said, what should I do? And I said, pay for the damn trip. It's not that expensive. <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be less than the marketing expense of trying to get your customers back? Like, <laughs> I told him, it's like, if you don't like fishing, I love fishing. Send me on the trip. I'll entertain your, your clients. So, uh, and uh, anyway, but yeah, there's, there's, there's that. There's the, what is that relationship between the owner and their top uh, clients? What about, we were talking about things that could be uh, detriments to the, the valuation. Um, do you look at things such as, uh, customer, what am I looking for? Dispersion or like yep. over concentration yeah. in one or two T customers? Yeah. So your customer concentration, um, I really like to see everybody under, uh, under 20%, uh, that 20% number kind of scares me, right? That's yeah. a fifth of your business. Um, it, it, that could disappear because, you know, Somebody else shut their business down. They were sick of it or what it doesn't, doesn't even have to be um, anything related to you or your quality or your product or anything. It's just somebody else is having an event. Um, so yeah, I really don't like to see anything above 20%. I know some people give a little bit, um, but I, I would prefer if I can add up your top three and get to like 20%, 25%, right? So there's somewhere between, you know, eight and 10%, eight and 15% each or something like that. And um that I feel a lot more comfortable there. Um, Do you but, see, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Did you see one-time revenue as a detriment instead of something where like, um, I'm trying to think of, of a situation here, but in a case where you sell a customer one thing and, the, and it's good for life, right? It's the, you know, John Deere tractor. They're not going to need another one for 40 years, you know, unless they buy another farm. Right. Um, they might need tools to go onto it, but they've got that tractor that's going to run for 30 years. Uh, do you see that as a detriment? Like, or do you see that it's just a normal part of particular businesses? Do you, I guess the real question I'm asking, do you spend time trying to figure out how to get monthly recurring revenue into a company so that, cause I know that's valued higher. Yes. So um, the automatic customer is, is on the shelf over here. And yeah. yes, we're always trying to drive to subscription model, Mm -hmm. not always a true subscription, but you know, the salesperson calls on the 15th and you buy your widgets and 
you know, and, and every month we're, you know, we're doing that. Um, the, it's, it's, it has two factors. Number one, they're stickier sales, right? They're very sticky. Um, <clears throat> number two, it smooths and evens out your sales flow too, right? So if you have a seasonal product, if you can get people to even place that a little bit earlier, you can sometimes afford to give them a price break because you're not paying overtime for it during the peak season with your, with your staff. Uh, so I like to look at that and because smoothing that out makes the business run easier. Um, you don't have to what they call build the church for Easter, right? <laughs> if, if, every, if every church built for Easter, they'd have, you know, tons of open seats the other 364 days out of the year, right? Um, and so, yeah, that, that smoothing effect is big too, not to mention, obviously, the stickiness of a recurring customer. I worked with one client. They didn't even have a subscription button on their website, right? They were they they didn't even have it. So this is this is on the other. This is a startup on the on the other end where we were building for value to sell. Um, had about an eight year horizon, and without that subscription button, ninety seven percent of the people who bought something in the prior quarter bought again. They came back and bought it. That's impressive. I, Wow. Like, think about that. Now, if we get the subscription button on there, it's only going to get better. Right. And so every, so every time a customer, you maintain a customer, I mean, pretty much at 97%, I mean, you're maintaining that customer. So think about what that means to the next person's buying it. This business is stable and it can only grow. Right. Now we've got 97% stick forever. Probably not, but um, you know, in the first three years, that was that was the number that they were riding on for three years. I think I, I, I equate it to my previous experience being a real estate investor that I love recurring revenue, right? That's what I'm like, you know, even in the home services, right? I own a pest control company that's not reoccurring. If it's reoccurring, you got a problem, right? <laughs> you know, I have a few recurring clients. I, I go check a bunch of Airbnbs. We do inspections on them every about once a month just because they have a high chance of getting bed bugs and other stuff. But most of my clients, are, I, I go in there, I do my work, and they don't call me back until they see something crawling across their counter again, right? So I own one of those. But, you know, I like companies like, oh, I'm trying to think, lawn care. I don't own any of them, but I think it's brilliant because it, it has to be done every month, right? Pool cleaning services. I've been looking at those. I think I might get into that just because they get done every couple of days, right? Like once a week, twice a week, somebody comes by and checks your chemical level. Uh, recurring, you get a customer, you, you know, as long as you treat them well, you get great customer support, you know, there's a pretty good chance you got a customer for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so that goes with, I think that can be done in almost any business. I think there's some element to um, creating long-term clients that come back and, you know, and, and buy things over and over again. So before we go too much further, it is kind of getting close to the top of the hour. Let's make sure people know how to reach out to you. I didn't verify this link with you beforehand, but I'm going to put it on your screen real quick. Make sure to verify that's right. That looks perfect. Cool. For those of you guys who are on the podcast, it's actually his LinkedIn. So it's, it's the standard linkedin.com slash in Mike, M-I-K-E. And then it's hyphen M-A-U-S-T-E-L-L-E-R. It's Mike, M-I-K-E hyphen m-a-u-s-t-e-l-l-e-r and is there any other way you'd like people to reach out to you that, that's perfect that's actually my preferred method let's chat and um uh go ahead and connect and 
you, you can follow my content. I can follow your business. That works out perfectly. Cool. And then right now we're, we're at 54 minutes. So we're kind of wrapping up the top of the hour. If you had one key takeaway, one myth you could dispel in the industry or like uh, if, if people walk away from the show and they only remember one thing from Mike, what do you want them to remember? When it comes to value, you cannot believe that everyone thinks like you. You have to, th you have to think like potential buyers. So if you, for instance, silly example, but if you want to sell in the next two years and you um, potentially want to sell to someone who would take over your operation or maybe combine it with theirs, don't sign a five-year lease right, for a price break. And, and you can be tempted to do that. Well, it costs less. They're going to like this. Well, not if somebody wants to shut it down. So stop thinking about what's good for you and, and concentrate on if you were going to buy this and you are the most skeptical person in the world, because every buyer is, <laughs> they're all tied for the most skeptical person in the world. Uh, what would, what would you need to do, demonstrate or prove to yourself? Right. <clears throat> awesome. I like that. So if you were, if, if you're selling a business, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the buyer and what would you need to prove to yourself to buy that business? So if you walked in off the street, not knowing anything about your business, what would you need to see, like, and, and uh, be shown about the business that, that would attract you as a buyer? I like that, putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Cool. Well, I appreciate having you on. Uh, we are kind of at the top of the hour. Thank you for being here. Um, hang out for a few minutes after the show, and we'll, we'll chat for a second or two. Other than that, uh, if you don't, if you have any other things to say? Uh, well, when do I get to come back? It's been ah, a great. Really I, I think it's fun. I, it's it's so much fun on these shows. I look up and go, "Oh man, we're already at the top of the hour. We could go on for a long, a lot longer." So uh, I do appreciate it. We'll probably have you back. I'm going to do a series uh, just for everybody to know out there. I'm thinking about doing a series where we pick a topic and we bring an expert on and we actually walk you through and teach you a like a, a deep dive into a particular thing. Right. So that might be something if I when I break down that mini series, I'll reach out to you and go, here's the 15 topics. I think we ought to teach somebody on which one would you like to do a, you know, a 45 minute segment on. And uh, we can even break out you know, slides or whatever you need to do to, to, to get them get the point across. So uh, maybe we can do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'd, I'd love to uh, uh, talk about how the valuation is built even so people understand all of the important pieces of that. You know, a lot of people would, would uh, fire their mutual fund company if they didn't get their quarterly statements. But most of us don't know the value of our business right now. And it's probably 10 times more valuable than that mutual fund statement. So, you know, get out there, check your value. And maybe when we get back together, we can, we can talk about some of those big chunks of value that the 80% rule uh, fun. I get a lot of business owners, I ask them for their, their balance sheet and their income statement. They can find those. And then I ask them for a cash flow analysis showing me their month-to-month -month or quarterly cash flow for the year. And they just gloss over, like they don't even know what that is. And I was like, well, it's really critical because uh, I kind of need to know if you have seasonal, you know, yeah. you know, uh, that's, that's how I see the seasons and stuff inside of your business. You know, I can see them in the others a little bit, but I really want to see, you know, you know, are you have like there are there are businesses out there that look like they do really well, but like part half of the year they're robbing for Peter to pay Paul, right? They're mm -hmm. they're they're Absolutely. you know. So uh all right. Well, I appreciate having you on here. I am gonna end the stream. That's the show, everybody. Thank you for being on and hang out for just a second. 
Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.